All right. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Hebrews chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to go into verse 8 a little bit. Hebrews 7, 23. So we're going to be. Um, if you see me moving my glasses a lot, it's because I, I wrestle pretty hard with my kids. And, and we was wrestling with them the other day, and Scarlett drop kicked me in the face. And, and broke my glasses. And it was much deserved, and it was awesome. I gave her high praise for it. But they broke, and so these are my old glasses that are all bent up. So they don't like to stay in my face good. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23. The words of our God, written by an unknown author, says this. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. For his own sins and those for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has, made, who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places and the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. This is the word of the Lord. Um, my favorite Christmas movie is, without a doubt, The Grinch. And when I say The Grinch, I obviously mean the Jim Carrey version, right? Oh, it is so funny. In The Grinch, the Jim Carrey version, uh, there is a little girl named Cindy Lou Who who nominates The Grinch to be Holiday Cheermeister. To which the Grinch will eventually respond, "Hobbity hoobity whitty." The whole town, when, when Cindy Lou Who nominates the Grinch to be holiday cheermeister, the whole town comes to a screeching halt. Literally, cars can crash into things, and and everything like stops and topples over. Over, and everybody is freaking out. Like, did we just hear what we think we just heard? Did did someone nominate the Grinch to be holiday cheermeister? Eventually, they don't get too worried because they do not believe at all that the Grinch would ever come down from the mountain to receive such an award. And that was probably true. He probably would not have come down except for the interceding of little old Cindy Lou Who, who by herself climbs the mountain that her brothers were terrified to climb. She climbs it, finds the big scary door, knocks on it, 
meets the Grinch, laughs at him and says of being scared, invites him and pleads with him to come accept the award. An award? The girl said something about a check. It's so funny. And eventually he does. You see, Cindy Lou Who was this messenger. She was this go-between. She was this mediator. She was like a priest who stood in the gap to unite those who were at odds with one another. Christmas movies and stories are always about the coming together. They're about this magic of Christmas that unites those things that are broken, that restores broken relationships, heals old wounds, and reunites those who were divided. When we watch the same Christmas movies year after year, and then we add new ones to our traditions, we, we, we watch these things because we want to be reminded of this magic. We want to be reminded and, and laugh and cry and be moved to know that broken things can be mended. We all have family members and friends and acquaintances that we no longer speak to because those old wounds have not yet healed and we are divided and alienated from them. Being reminded that even the Grinch can be reconciled with the Who's gives us hope that maybe we can as well. You see, in the same way that these Christmas stories and movies remind us, in the same way we need to be reminded of a deeper hurt, a deeper betrayal, and a deeper hope. That the story of humanity is one of a broken relationship. It is a story as old as time. It is a story of the oldest wound and a story of magical restoration. When we betrayed God, when we turned our backs on him, when we brought sin into the world and destroyed our relationship with God, it seemed like in the beginning that there would be no hope. Last week, we talked about how God sent prophets to be his mouthpiece, to speak and communicate to his people. But prophets are not enough. If we want to be right with God, it takes more than to simply hear him speak. We need a mediator. The gap that separates us from God is way too wide. It is too vast that we have no hope of crossing such an expanse. No way to close the gap. No way to climb the religious ladder to get to God. Instead, we need someone who can stand in such a gap, who can function as a go-between, someone who is worthy enough to be in heaven, and someone who is humble enough to come to earth. We need a priest. For thousands of years, having a priest and a temple was normal and essential. Without a temple and without a priest, there could be no one who could ever connect to God. Without a priest that had the right rituals, that had the right words and the right sacrifices, the right steps, even the right clothes, they had to have all of that so that they could begin to mend this broken relationship between us and God. And so for thousands of years, God's people, the Israelites, knew God through the prophets and through the priests. Now, if the prophets were God's way of getting, his, getting to his people, then the priests were God's way of getting his people back to him. 
You know, as Protestants, we don't often understand priests. As non-Jewish Protestants, we don't understand priests. They've never been a part of our life. When we look at our Catholic brothers and sisters, um, they don't understand. Uh, we look at Catholics and, and, and others like the Jews and, and some other denominations that have priests, and, and we don't understand the need for anyone else to stand between us and God. Why do I need to confess my sins to some other man? Why do I need a priest to get me to God? And while these other denominations, I think, are wrong in their practice, they are right in their basic understanding that you have to have a priest. That without a priest, you cannot get to God on your own. Without a priest, without someone between you and God, you can never know him. The only question is who can accomplish such a task? Who could be such a priest to, to unite such two peoples from such an expanse, such a divide? Who could bridge such a gap? 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, we need a priest, but only Jesus will do. Jesus can bridge the gap between us and God. He alone is worthy to be in heaven and humble enough to come to earth. Jesus is our high priest through whom alone we can know God. I want to show you this morning why it is that we need a priest and why Jesus is the only one who will do. Hebrews, we just read, says, now the point and what we were saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. They serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, that's the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Did you know that everything in the Old Testament, every single little detail was a sign and a shadow pointing to its fulfillment, to the real thing. The temple, the priest, the sacrifices, the lampstands, the Ark of the Covenant, the incense, every single thing was a sign pointing to a real thing, to the true thing, to the fulfillment. The real thing being the true dwelling place of God, the, the tabernacle or the temple was but a copy or a replica, a shadow of the true temple that already existed with the true priest in heaven. You see, no mere man could ever be worthy enough to intercede on our behalf. Imagine with me for a moment that you were sitting in a courtroom in the defendant's chair, and, and while the prosecutor was up making his case against you, you decided that you wanted to speak to the judge for yourself, and so you got up and you uh, got past that little swinging door, and you walked and tried to approach the judge. What, what would happen to you before you even got there? But police officers would swarm you, tackle you, tell you to stop, get back in your seat. You would not be allowed to approach the bench and talk to the judge. You wouldn't make it. You cannot close that gap. See, the gap between us and a judge is quite small. 
It is quite insignificant, and yet still we can't approach. But the gap between us and God is infinite. And so no mere human priest could ever manage to get us across such a gap. They could not get themselves across such a gap. Earthly priests of the Old Testament were but a shadow pointing to Jesus, the only priest who was worthy to be in heaven, who sits at the right hand of God, who can approach not just the bench, but the throne of God and speak to God on our behalf. You see, Jesus is our heavenly priest, the one to which all shadows point. Now notice, notice verse 23, where he says, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing an office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Over the centuries, priests came and died, came and died. New priests died. And so for thousands of years, there was always a new priest. And the new priests would have different personalities and they would have a slight different way of doing things. And maybe they were kind and gentle or maybe they were pompous and arrogant. And it was always different and always someone new connecting you to God. But your connection to God was dependent on that priest's work on your behalf. And so here is what the resurrection of Jesus means for us. The the, the fact that Jesus is our priest is what it means for us is that Jesus is now and will always be both God and man. Meaning that right now Jesus is still physical, still flesh. And it means that he will always and forever be our priest. It means that the work Jesus did for you and I, the connection that that he fixes to God for us, that he made possible, can never be undone. It never can be broken. It never has to be done again because he lives forever. Jesus has an indestructible life, which qualifies Jesus to be our priest forever and enables him to make his disciples righteous because he will never die or cease to be our priest. He is our eternal priest. And it gets better. Because he will never cease to be our priest, notice verse 25. It says, consequently, right, because of this, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, because Jesus is eternal, He is able to save us to the uttermost. That means that amongst all the other things that he does for us, he is constantly making intercession. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus lives to make intercession for us? It means when he approaches the bench, when he approaches the throne of God, he goes to the Father on our behalf. He is essentially praying for us, pleading our case before God. Jesus is reminding the Father, this one who is speaking to you belongs to us. This one who would approach your throne has been covered in my blood. Listen to this one, Father. He is one of ours. Jesus does not do his job halfway. It is not as if Jesus came to earth to die on a cross and he said, okay, my job's done. You guys take it away. Instead, he continues to work for you today. In this moment right now, he stands between you and the Father, pleading your case, arguing on your behalf, telling the Father to hear your prayers, to answer your prayers. Have you ever wondered why it is that when we finish praying, we say, in Jesus' name? It is because we pray to the Father through the Son. 
Our prayers make it to the Father because the Son, as our priest, takes them to him on our behalf. I kind of kind of learned this a couple of years ago. Three years ago, I got a speeding ticket. And um, I guess I was kind of guilty, but uh, I thought I could get out of it. And so instead of paying the fine, I decided to show up in court. Because I find myself a pretty persuasive arguer, and so I thought I could move and stir the heart of the judge as I began to tell him about how I was coming from this church plant and da-da-da-da-da, right? And so I go before the judge, I go in the courtroom, and I learned, at least in traffic violations, that the facts of the case don't matter that much. Because I watched as person after person had so many good excuses and so many good stories and so many reasons why the judge should let them off. And he had heard it all before. And he wasn't having it. And they all left with their ticket in hand and went and paid for it. But there were some people who had not yet paid their tickets and were not there. But someone else came on their behalf. They called them lawyers. And these lawyers, they didn't have to stand back where we stood. They, no, they, they had special access. They were up past the, 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 even the desk and up approaching the judge. And when it came time for them to plead the case of their people that they represented, they had this lingo with the judge. They had this relationship with the judge. And, and they had papers. And they said, oh, and they would lean and say, well, judge, here's the deal. It's first offense. And uh, we've got, a, we got this paper here that talks about faulty equipment. And the judge would go, okay, we'll, we'll get rid of it. What? And I could make the same argument. It wouldn't matter. But the lawyer could come on behalf of someone else, plead their case, and everything changes. You see, the only reason that God hears your prayers is because Jesus goes to advocate for you. The only reason God hears your prayers is because you have a high priest in Jesus who takes them to his father and says, this one's mine, father, would you listen? And he's glad to open his ears. You see, when you are scared, when you are distressed, when you are sad, when you are wondering what path to take, when you are worried about an outcome, when you are pleading for help, when the Father hears you and answers you because his Son goes to him and said, this one belongs to me. He belongs to us. He's been washed in my blood. Father, hear his plea. You see, Jesus is our interceding priest who lives to intercede for us. We do not have to sit back and get there on our own. One goes to stand on our behalf. Verse 26, he says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. You see, the priests were in the temple every day, performing their duties, doing all these rituals. And one of those things was to make sacrifices for other people so that they could be made right with God. And so I would come, bring my animal, bring my lamb or dove or whatever it was. The priest would take it, would sacrifice it for me and be well. Your sins are forgiven. But before the priest could do that, 
Before the priest could take your offering and sacrifice it on your behalf to God, he would have to make his own sacrifice and cleanse himself before he could approach God with your sacrifice because he was a sinner, just like the person that was coming to him. He was broken. He couldn't get to God on his own. He could not stand in the gap on his own, so he had to cleanse himself before he could make a sacrifice for you. Jesus did not have to do that. Jesus did not need to make a sacrifice for himself because Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfectly righteous. From the moment of his birth to his last breath, Jesus never lusted after another woman. Jesus never lied. Jesus never stopped loving God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He loved every person as himself. He never envied what someone else had. He never gossiped. He never for a moment stopped trusting God. He was perfect without spot or blemish. Jesus is our sinless priest. And this really matters because if Jesus Jesus had one sin, then he would be just as guilty as you and I are, and all of his work would be for naught. The verse we just read ends by saying this, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. There are a lot of important holidays in Judaism. In the Jewish tradition, on the Jewish calendar, there's a lot of important festivals and holidays, but there is one day that stands amongst, uh, apart from the rest, and that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. See, this one day out of every year, the high priest would come and he would take two goats. And on the first goat, he would place his hands and he would confess the sins of Israel over this goat, symbolizing putting all the sins of Israel onto this goat, and then someone would tie a rope around its neck and lead it off into the desert, into the wilderness, and let it go. And it would be a scapegoat, picturing and symbolizing all of Israel's sins being removed from them. And then he would take another goat, and he would sacrifice it and burn it as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord because the only way that our sins could be removed from us and taken away is if something dies. I want you to understand something really clearly. The Jews over the centuries sacrificed hundreds of thousands of animals. The streets were filled with blood. All of the time, it smelled like a barbecue as they were constantly sacrificing and burning animals. But understand this, not one of those sacrifices ever removed even one sin. King David, Abraham, Noah, Samuel, no one in the Old Testament was ever forgiven any of their sins because they ever sacrificed an animal. No animal could ever remove the wrath of God that is rightly falling on us. Not a lamb, not a goat, nothing. It never removed one sin. All that blood. All of those animals were but a sign, pointing them to the only thing that could ever forgive their sin. Not a goat, not a lamb, but a man. A man without spot or blemish, 
a man who was perfect, a priest who had no sins of his own to remove, a priest from heaven who would willingly give his life as a sacrifice in our place. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament never forgave their sins. It pointed to the only thing that could. Jesus does not come as our priest to sacrifice an animal for us. He came to be the sacrifice himself. He was the perfect spotless lamb. Jesus is our scapegoat. He took all of our sins on himself and took them as far as the east is from the west. And he died the death that sin deserved so that we didn't have to. You see, only a human can atone for other humans. And so a man had to die if true atonement ever was to be made. The perfection of his atonement means that it cannot and need not ever be repeated. No longer do we must go to a temple and sacrifice an animal because our priest was the final, only sacrifice which could ever wash away our sins. And they have been completely washed. Jesus is our sacrificed priest. The sixth aspect of his priesthood that I want you to see comes from Hebrews chapter 4. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we were, yet he did not sin. In the Old Testament, after the Israelites had been freed from Egypt out of slavery, they crossed the Red Sea, and the New Testament refers to that as kind of their baptism. And after they get through the Red Sea, they spend 40 years in the wilderness being tempted and they fail again and again and again. They fail again and again. They turn back and want to go back to slavery. They worship false gods. They turn their back on God. They fail again and again. But when Jesus came, he was baptized and immediately went into the wilderness for 40 days. And that was no coincidence. And for 40 days, he was tempted just as the Israelites were but he was tempted by Satan himself. And as Jesus fasted again and again, the devil tempted him to sin. Again and again, Jesus refused. You see, everywhere we fail, Jesus has been obedient to God. He never lusted because he knew we would. He never gossiped because he knew we would. He never disobeyed his parents because we knew, he knew we would. He obeyed perfectly because he knew we couldn't. He obeyed for us because we would never obey like he could. And you might think that because Jesus always obeyed and he was perfect, it would make him puffed up and arrogant and proud, and it would make him look down on us when we fail, like, like Zeus throwing lightning bolts at us. We would feel that God was always disappointed with us. Because we do that, right? If there is a sin that we don't struggle with or that we've conquered and other people have trouble with that sin? What do we do? Come on, man. It's not that hard. Just stop it. What are you doing? Just stop doing that. It's not difficult. Just stop it. I don't do that. You stop it. And they struggle for years and we look down our nose at them because we don't understand. And we think maybe Jesus is like that too because he never sinned. And so maybe he looks down at us and he says, what are you doing? Just stop it. 
But that is not how Jesus treats us. While he does call us to repent and turn from our sin, he is able to sympathize with us because he knows intimately how enticing sin is. He knows just how much our broken hearts long for the forbidden fruit. And so he is able to simultaneously call us away from sin while not looking down on us when we fall. You see, sometimes pastors and and priests and even know-it-all, goody-goody-two-shoe Christians try to guilt us away from sin. Make us feel this big. Make us feel terrible. Beat us down to get us to change. One time I heard a youth pastor tell his kids, tell his youth, that to stop sinning because every time they do, Jesus still feels the nails. And every time you sin, that nail drives in a little further. How manipulative and untrue and anti-gospel is that? Because we do not have a Jesus who is looking down on us in anger, but a Jesus who is looking down on us smiling. A Jesus who is reaching down to lift you up when you fall. A Jesus who is looking at us saying, I know it's hard, I've been there. Remember, you are not alone. And when you fall and when you tumble, I will pick you up and continue to walk with you and cheer you on. Because I've been there. And I did not give in to it because I knew you would. So that I could redeem you and save you. And I now do not look down on you in anger but I am able to sympathize and pick you up so that we can move forward together. You are not alone. This is the kind of priest we have in Jesus, a sympathetic priest. So today, as we stand here as the people of God gathered around the cross of Christ, we have a high priest. We need a high priest. We have a high priest who is from heaven, who is eternal, who intercedes for us, who is sinless, who is sacrificed, and who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We need no earthly priest. You don't need me to know God. You do not need a priest to know God, to know all you need is Jesus. But the story does not end there. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You, if you believe in Christ, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. Jesus has made you a priest to God. When you come to God through Christ, he makes you a priest. And understand this very clearly. Listen to me. If you haven't heard anything, listen to this. There is no one on earth who has more access to God than anyone else. There is no preacher, no missionary, not even the Pope has more access to God than you do. Because we all get to God the same way. Through one mediator between God and man, our high priest, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only way. You see, the Grinch listened to Cindy Lou Who. And he went down and he got his award. There wasn't a check, but he got his award. But in the end, it was an embarrassing moment for him. And he went home madder than before. And so he decided to steal Christmas and ruin the whole day. And after the Grinch had stolen Christmas, feeling quite good about what he had done, standing on top of the mountain, 
Oh, Cindy Lou Who comes again to see him. And the Grinch asks her, what are you doing here? And she says that no one should be alone on Christmas. And that was the final straw. After realizing that Christmas was more than toys and gifts, and that in spite of all of the wrong that he did, someone cared for him enough to leave behind her family on Christmas morning, climb that mountain just to be with him, it changed him. We have a high priest in Jesus, who though we have wronged him again and again, cared, uh, 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 he cared enough for us to leave his home and come to earth to reunite us with the Father so that we never have to be alone or cut off from God again. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are thankful that you our, our priest, that you had sent your son to be our priest, to be the one who could stand in the gap, to be the one who would come and be sinless and give his life for us, the one who intercedes for us, who prays for us, the one who makes our petitions known to you, the one who allows us to be able to approach your throne with confidence. We are thankful for a Jesus who is holy enough to stand in heaven and humble enough to come to earth and unite the two. Father, we're thankful that we have, we have equal access to you. That in your son, we have full access to you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, show them this morning that through your son, they can they can know you and can change their life. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All those people said.